Chip-based credit and debit cards are coming to America, but the so-called chip and pin cards, though seen as reducing fraud at point of sale, won't necessarily be as effective in reducing fraud that's known as card not present or CNP fraud. Hello, I'm Eric, Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm pleased to be speaking with Al Pasquale, Senior Analyst for Fraud and Security at Javelin, a payment fraud and security advisory service. Al will be presenting at ISMG's Fraud Summit later this month in Dallas. Welcome, Al. Morning. At the Fraud Summit, you'll be talking about the impact breaches are having on a host of industries. Your research has been more focused on card breaches. What lessons can card breaches teach security professionals in all fields about breaches? A pretty salient lesson is that just because, first of all, you were breached once doesn't mean you're inoculated from data breaches. I think this is something we saw with the Michaels breach. That uh, organization has suffered multiple times, though you would think, you know, that having to go through that experience more than once would have been an educational experience for them. And, and I guess the second big lesson for the rest of the industry is more about your messaging than it is about your security uh, when it comes to how your, how your business is perceived post-breach. And what I mean by that is that there is no 100% security. Um, No agency is completely impervious to cyber threats. But I think the greatest deal of criticism that any business has sustained because of the recent rash of breaches, even over the past couple years, has been due to the way that they've spoken with the public and delivered their message to regulators, to businesses, partners in the media. One thing to be weak in security, to have a poor security posture, but it's another to make the situation worse, uh, to make yourself look incompetent, or to simply look like you don't care. And, and I think we've seen a bit of that this year. Not intentional, certainly, but it is happening, and I think that's the bigger mistake. You can remediate the security issues, but your image uh, you know, will remain tarnished. It seems to both points you make, it's the organization having an, an impression of themselves that may not be correct. So first off, why do you suspect that some organizations don't learn from their previous mistakes, you know, knowing that they can be breached again? And secondly, why are they having problems uh, communicating? Well, I think the first might have to do with the, the place and time. I mean, if you use Michaels as an example, you know, the place and time when uh, they experienced uh, the earlier breach, I think it was 2011. You know, at the time, there was, uh, I guess, less focus from the public. They weren't punished as much by the media. And, you know, I think as a result, they didn't seal all the gaps, right? They didn't do a quality job of assessing exactly where their you know, network security, uh, infrastructure security was. They, they left some things unaddressed. Now, today, I don't think that would be the case. I'm, I'm sure by now, hopefully, they've remediated all their issues. Given the amount of attention these things get you know, from shareholders, from the government, businesses you know, should be on their game. I think it's just you know, worth mentioning that you know, we've seen, seen businesses suffer multiple breaches. I'm hoping that that is no longer the case, but it's something to be aware of. And as far as the messaging is concerned, I think that's where there's still a great deal of opportunity for businesses to improve. I don't think there's enough understanding throughout the organization, right? So not only within PR teams and marketing teams, but also legal teams as to what the public's impression can be of a breach or what it is. Right, whether that's the consumer impression and the impression of you know, other stakeholders, government, because people have a false impression of what these different stakeholders might think. They go about handling things in an inappropriate manner. Just a, a more fair, more representative understanding of what that messaging or how that messaging is going to resonate, because there isn't right now. So you have legal teams stepping up saying, hey, don't say anything while the PR team is trying to figure out how to spin nothing. That can be very difficult. Sounds like a lack of leadership from the top. 
There is that too, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's nice that the messages are starting to resonate up through the C-suite into the boardroom, but obviously uh, until it permeates the, the entire organization, um, you're still going to have some disconnects there, and as a result, things get lost in translation. Why is messaging important? We did a, um, we did a study a while back that looked at how data breaches affect patronage. Right, whether or not someone's gonna, a consumer is going to show up the next day. We found that there is a strong discernible effect on being a breach victim as a consumer and your willingness to, let's say, shop at a retailer or you know, visit your healthcare provider. I mean, healthcare is a good example. One in three breach victims right, who have breached out a healthcare provider will avoid doing business with that healthcare provider going forward. Basically, they're out looking for another doctor. Now, if you're a business like Michael's, I mean, that's a cumulative effect, right, because you've been breached multiple times, speaking to these consumers, you know, speaking to the media, getting your message out, controlling the message is an opportunity to maybe maintain some of those relationships, and not only the consumer relationship, but certainly relationships with partners and vendors, other folks who are doing business who have, may have concerns as well. So, you know, these breaches, it's not just about your remediation cost, right? It's not just about the cost of notification. It's about the fact that one out of four, one out of three, one out of five people are, they're not going to be your customers anymore. So getting that message right is critical. Uh, Javelin's new research is focused on card not present fraud. Can you please explain the trends we see in card not present fraud? About 2010, card not present fraud overtook point of sale fraud. That trend hasn't looked back since. Uh, what we are projecting now is continued significant growth in card not present fraud as EMV exerts downward pressure on fraud at the point of sale. So ultimately, if you look all the way out to about 2018, what we'll find is that card not present fraud, total volume, will be about four times of point of sale fraud. Very, very significant. You know, EMV really is going to drive down that point of sale, point of sale fraud over the next several years, well into the, you know another decade. But that card not present fraud as volumes increase, as there's more noise uh, in which criminals can hide behind, yeah, as the point of sale channel, right, starts to close off uh, because of EMV. I mean, all of that is really going to drive some explosive growth in card not present fraud. So for all the stakeholders involved, issuers, merchants, processors, the card networks, uh, this is going to be a place of intense focus over the next five years. Even if we didn't switch over to uh, EMV, we'll still see this increase, correct? Yes, EMV isn't going to affect significant short-term growth in card not present fraud. I think there was some concern when uh, folks looked at the UK, when they looked at some of the UK metrics pre and post EMV that there was this huge spike in card not present fraud. But if you uh, look at fraud as a proportion of all legitimate card not present transactions in the UK, what you found was that it wasn't so much a spike as it was a small bump. And then when you consider the fact that the U.S. EMV rollout is going to take several years, that card not present fraud spike basically gets stretched. We're going to see very little noticeable effect. And that's really because card not present fraud ultimately here is already so huge, right? I mean, fraudsters are already heavily piled into it, and they're going to have a lot of opportunities still at the point of sale. And we have um, you know, gas stations, ATMs, that liability shift date is a couple years further down the road. Not all merchants are going to be EMV ready as of the uh, October 2015 liability shift date. No spike, but a whole heck of a lot of fraud, and it's just going to get bigger. You know, 2018, we're looking at just over $18 billion in card not present fraud. Uh, it's definitely going to command a lot of attention, a lot of respect. And those organizations don't, don't make the switch immediately, or they're going to see a, will they be seeing a spike in their uh, point of sale fraud because there are fewer of them to take advantage of? Oh, absolutely. It rolls downhill. 
And, uh, you know, criminals are nothing if not opportunistic, right? They, they are like the rest of us. They want to work easier, right, smarter, not harder. You know, while Tier 1, Tier 2, mer tier two merchants are probably going to be some of the first to implement uh, EMV-capable terminals, that means that, uh, you know, the remainder, right, uh, the folks who have yet to jump on board are going to make prime targets. So they're going to make prime targets certainly for fraud. And they're also going to make prime targets you know, for data breaches because I know that those locations are only processing max right transactions, which means if I compromise them, I'm getting full track data, which you know, has a lot of value to me as a criminal. How could mobile out-of-band authentication help? And before you answer that question, define what is out-of-band authentication. Well, out-of-band is actually a term that is really most germane to the financial services industry, e-banking, online banking. What out-of-band is, is authentication outside of the channel in which you're conducting the transaction. So if I am banking online, for example, out-of-band would be through the mobile phone. It would be through a telephone uh, call center. could be something like a hard token. It right? would be almost technically out-of-band. The, the regulators have been a little wishy-washy on that one. But basically, it's authentication that you know, it actually occurs outside of the primary channel through which completing a transaction. And that could help? For card not present, I think so. You know, I think maybe Apple Pay is a good example. There's a lot of promise in Apple Pay, certainly at the point of sale. But you know, there may be even more promise. And this isn't so much, I guess, maybe out of band isn't so much the term I'd use here if we're talking about card not present fraud. The Apple Pay example is a good way to illustrate this too. We have Touch ID. What you'll effectively have uh, on an Apple iOS device, right, whether that's the phone or you know the the, uh, the iPad, is a way to provide another factor of authentication during a card not present transaction. Now, you can't do this as out of band, right? I mean, there is the potential for, let's say, you know, I'm shopping online on my laptop, and I'm about to conduct a $5,000 transaction at Best Buy, and my card issuer sends me a notification through my banking app that says, hey, you're about to complete a $5,000 transaction. Swipe your finger to authenticate right, the purchase. And I mean, that would be out of band. You know, certainly, and uh, that would you know really be a great way to strengthen you know security when it comes to these types of transactions. But you can do that right through the mobile phone too, right? So this is in the same channel. You know, I could be conducting that same five thousand dollar purchase on my phone or on my tablet, and you know, right on the device as I'm using it to make the purchase. You know, I can have that same Touch ID interaction as well. So it's both. You know, it could be an out of band solution. Um, it could be you know same channel solution. But in reality, it's adding an extra factor that didn't exist before. And that could really make a significant difference. Thanks, Al. Absolutely. I've been speaking with Al Pasquale of Javelin for Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.